Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. chance to meet. I'm Robbie Itterberg, and I'm the other pastor, and I'm wondering, isn't it great to receive a letter? Especially when you get a letter from someone that, you know, you care about. Maybe it's somebody you haven't heard from for a while that you've been apart from, and, you know, I've been inspired actually a number of different times when it's come time to do a memorial service, and in the course of, of talking with a family or particularly a spouse, I've heard this story over and over about a couple that was split for long periods of time, often because of military service. And I hear these stories of how over all of the months that they were apart, they would write each other seemingly every day. And sometimes they'd have these boxes of letters. And these letters that maintained that connection that they had, these letters that, though separated by distance, allowed them to be united in heart and mind. The letters were like food for the starving body. They were like water for those parched you know, tongues in those moments when the letter would come in the mailbox. They can still remember how they felt. And it's a beautiful thing this commitment to write these letters to one another. A letter in those circumstances can be the difference between sustaining and maintaining a hope and kind of giving up, can't it? The summer between my junior and senior year of college, I, I think I've shared a number of times before that I was in Siberia and Mongolia for a couple of months on a mission trip. And Abby, at the same time, was backpacking through Europe with a good friend. And this was well before cell phones were regularly available, particularly internationally. And so in order to have any sort of connection, we were relying on email. And at one point, I remember that I left the grid, and I mean left the grid. I mean, you can imagine in Siberia, it's pretty easy to lose the, leave the grid, and it was. And I left the grid, and so did my whole group for like five weeks. And I hadn't told her that I was leaving the grid for five weeks. I'm not sure I knew. I might have. It's been a little while now. But either way, I hadn't told her that I was leaving the grid for five weeks. And so for five weeks, no communication, no emails, no letters, nothing. So from her vantage point, I think worst case scenario, I don't want to be in a relationship with her anymore. I've pretty much cut her off. Best case scenario, I'm dead. I think that's probably where she was at. But either way, there was no letter. I'd heard her. And I'd heard our relationship. And a simple note letting her know that I was okay, what was going on, reassuring her that I missed her desperately could have been a huge difference in those weeks that we were apart. Letters can be really powerful things. And so we're beginning a new series this week called Letters to Friends. 
And in this series, we're going to be looking at particularly one letter that Paul wrote to dear friends of his in the church in the city of Thessalonica. At one point in Paul's ministry, it's, it's actually captured, if you want to go read about it, in Acts chapter 17. He goes to the city of Thessalonica, and he plants the church. There were no followers of Jesus there, and so he and his friends Silas and Timothy show up in town. They go to the synagogue. They're able to convince some of the Jewish believers there, or they become believers in the synagogue, believe that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. And then they continue to, to spread that ministry throughout the city, and many non-Jewish people that lived in the city also came to believe that Jesus was, in fact, Lord over all and were converted to the faith. And that got a number of other people whipped up into a frenzy to the point that actually Paul and Silas and Timothy were run out of town because it was going to be pretty clear that it wasn't going to go well. Well, They hadn't been in town all that long. And so this church that they left were pretty new believers, pretty new converts to the Christian faith. And so Paul is particularly worried about his friends of what is this going to mean for them without him being there to encourage them, support them, guide them, teach them. And this letter comes as a response to what has happened in their time apart. Timothy eventually was sent back to Thessalonica. He goes and reports to Paul all that has happened. And we get in this letter, this tender letter from Paul to his friends, a letter of encouragement, a letter nudging them to continue to stay the course, to keep up the good work, to move further and deeper into their love for the Lord and love for their neighbors. So we're going to walk through this letter to receive the similar encouragement, to try to listen for how can we then apply this same encouragement to our lives today. But along the way, I don't know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna write some letters to some friends of mine. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually be listening and learning from Paul about how he's becoming an encouragement to his good friends. And I'm gonna pick some people in my life People that God puts on my heart, people, some people probably locally. I've already got some people long distance that I know that God is nudging me to send a letter to, a letter that I can be an encouragement to. And man, I think this is a very poignant opportunity for us to be a people that is an encouragement to others, particularly as we've come out of the holidays and the post-holiday blues is a real thing. There's a lot of January downs. We also know that there's this surge of COVID happening, you know, records being set on a daily basis. And so there's lots of folks that are retreating back into some appropriate isolation and quarantine. And, you know, certainly folks who are in our care are once again in a lockdown situation. So who can we be encouraging to? Maybe it's through a handwritten letter. Maybe it's an email, whatever it is. The actually, the medium and mechanism doesn't actually matter, but let's be a people that can encourage, and let's learn from Paul and be encouraged from him through the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And so let's turn now to the first chapter in this letter, and you can follow along as we hear from God's word to us this evening. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace and peace to you. 
We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, this place, and your word. God, we are, so many of us are in a, a point in our lives where we could use a word of encouragement, where we could use a word that spurs us on. So Lord, may you speak into our lives this evening, and may we also be a people that spurs on and encourages others around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we jump into this letter, I just want to acknowledge right up front, I mean, Paul, in, in, you can already hear his tenderness that's coming through here. You can hear his care for the people of this church. I mean, this, the church is not just an institution. It's not an organization. It is these people, and these people are dearly loved. In verse 4, he says, brothers and sisters, you know, literally in Greek, it's, it's just brothers, but it was intended to be inclusive. It's intended because what we know from when he planted the church is that many actually prominent women of the city came to faith, and those were some of the people that Paul would have bonded with and connected with first. So he has this tenderness and this affection for the, the people in Thessalonica, for the church. And, you know, it just is a beautiful reminder that though they were, he was only there for a short time, we are united in Christ in a profound and powerful way. And so who has God given you a tenderness for as we think about writing letters? Who might you write a letter to that would be encouraged to hear that their, their brother or their sister is thinking of them? We get in this, though, Paul's incredible thankfulness his thankfulness for these people. Verse 2, I thank God for you all the time in prayer. All the time. Now, obviously, it's not that he's sitting there, you know, nonstop praying, God, thank you for the Thessalonians. Thank you for the Thessalonians. Thank you, you know, and naming them by name. He's just saying, it's so persistent, so always there. When he thinks of them, he's filled with a gratitude that, and he can't express it, help to express it to God. And man, wouldn't that be awesome to know that somebody's praying for you like that, with that kind of thanksgiving? I've been encouraged by so many of you at different times who have said, I'm praying for you and your family, and I'm so grateful. I mean, I know I need it. We all need it. And he's praying with thankfulness. I mean, isn't that great? Wouldn't that be great to, you know, he's, he's praying with thankfulness, not with, you know, oh God, 
God, I can't believe I have to be connected to these people anymore. They're driving me nuts. Like, seriously, God, I'm going to bang my head against a wall another time when I think about the Thessalonians. No, he's filled with thanksgiving for these people. And who in your life are you that thankful for? Who, who would benefit from you telling them that you're thankful for them? Who would be encouraged to simply hear that when you think about them, it fills you with a gratitude that you express to God? I mean, is it family? Do you have dear friends in your life? I, I'm thinking about a, a mentor or two of mine that I would love to express that to them. And this is a time. Because Paul's telling them, he's encouraging them, I am thankful for you. I'm thankful to God for you. And why? Why is he so thankful? And he tells them. He tells them it's because when I remember you, he said in verse 3, I remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about their lives, He's talking about what, what they're about, what they, what they put, invest their life in. And so we see in that, you know, that, that he is lifting up these characteristics uh, of their hard work, their good labor, you know, working for the Lord, and their endurance for the long haul. And that, that's going to be the key that we're going to pick up on today, endurance. And even the word just kind of makes you groan a little bit, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but it makes me think about like running, and that's an awful thought, like just in general. Like, yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, training in high school, and you know, I had to run, and it's terrible. I think about running the mile in gym class, and you know, all those things that we just go, endurance, ugh, who wants it? And yet, Paul is lifting this up and saying, I'm so thankful for your endurance. And he sees evidence, and he points out the evidence of their endurance. He's saying, I see it. I see it in your lives. I've heard Timothy has come back, and he's reported this to me, but I saw it even before I left. Because I saw when we preached the message to you, you received it with joy. You received it with joy, even though you knew receiving it was going to lead to your suffering. You knew that it was going to cause problems in your relationships. You knew that it was going to cause lifestyle shifts. You knew it was going to cost you things that yesterday made you happy. Today, you're giving those up for the sake of a different way of life. I'm thankful for that, for your endurance that you became imitators, he says, of me, of us, of Paul, of Silas, of Timothy. And we get glimpses of what that meant elsewhere in the letter as well as in Acts. Because what Paul did when he moved to Thessalonica is he came in and he set up shop and he started working so that they didn't need to pay him a dime. He supported himself. He, he you know, was hard at work doing the best that he could so that he didn't become a drag on anybody else so that it didn't seem like he was trying to utilize this message of good news as a, as a means to get ahead, as a means to make a buck. He got to a rough point. He needed some support from the folks in Philippi. They ended up sending some stuff for him. I mean, this, this was Paul's practice over time was to be humble and work with his hands. And working with his hands. For the Greeks, this was like beneath them. They were like intellectuals. They were, they were kind of like, if you want to say it this way, they were like super white collar. And if you worked with your hands, that was super blue collar. And that was well below, you know, those who were the, the elites of the Greek, the Greek world. 
But Paul would work with his hands. That's what it took. And he'd connect with the people. They became imitators of Paul and of the Lord, he said. Well, that means that they became people who were other-oriented. They became people who would actually interact with the, the rabble and the riffraff because Jesus had a real tendency of hanging out with people who weren't really appropriate to hang out with. He kept going to them to bring them a message of hope and, and a call to change their life because the way they were living wasn't working. And so they were probably modeling that. They were probably modeling self-sacrifice probably taking care of the sick and the, the poor and the marginalized, probably living on the edge, doing things that just didn't make sense to anybody else when your priority is to take care of you and your own. Hmm, that doesn't sound a lot different than today, does it? It's crazy. Why would you do such a thing? But this is, the, this is what Paul is, has already seen in them, and he says, I know, I saw it. And you've continued in it. We've been apart now. And I wasn't sure if you would continue to, to live this out. But what I'm hearing is that you're continuing to endure with the work and the love and the labor with endurance. Even more evidence, he says, actually, you've been bold with your faith. It would have been pretty easy when Paul left, because Paul's the big mouthpiece, right? Paul is the one running around yapping and getting everybody in trouble for talking about Jesus all the time. It would have been really easy when he left town to just kind of, okay, it's cool. Let's all just huddle up. We'll do our thing. Nobody else out there needs to know. We'll just do our thing in here. And that's actually, there's a lot of pressure in our day to act just like that. There's a lot of pressure in our world to just keep, keep your faith private inside your, you know, gathered walls. Don't take it out there. Don't share it with anybody else because that would be rude. That would be offensive. That would be inappropriate. And so you can have any faith you want as long as you just keep it to yourself. And they didn't just keep it to themselves. They knew that they had something that was too important to share with others that they went public with it to the point that Paul says, your faith rang out like this trumpet being sounded. It went out. Their profession of faith in Jesus Christ rang out to the point that they became then model believers for everyone all over the world. I mean, that's pretty high praise, isn't it? And that's Paul saying, man, I didn't think you were going to keep it up. I wasn't sure you had what it took. I was afraid that you were going to walk away when you didn't have the support. You're the little birdie being pushed out of the nest, and I thought you were for sure going, splat, and you weren't going to spread your wings and fly. <laughs> but you spread your wings and, and you fly. You're flying. And I'm so thankful to God that you're flying. Who in your life is flying that you could send a letter to? Who in your life is enduring that you can send a letter to? Who in your life is, is public with your, their faith? Not a cram it into somebody's face. Every conversation has to explicitly come back to the demand that they bow their knee to worship Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm talking about. But people who are living it out, living with integrity and then backing that up, saying, I live this way because of what God's done for me through Jesus Christ. Who can you write a letter to and say, keep it up. You're flying. You're doing it. And we may be kind of going, so what's, what's the big deal here? Why is he fanning the flame so much? Why is he so excited? Why is he encouraging them so much in this, this prayer and this opening of this letter? Well, it's because we have to remember the context that he's writing into. 
We have to remember where this, this church, this people in Thessalonica, what it is that's happening in their lives. Because those who would have come from a Jewish background, because there was the synagogue, right, and Paul went there first, those who would have come to faith from a Jewish background would have absolutely been cut off from the synagogue, cut off from their family, and thrown out of all of the social structures of their life. Because they, as Paul said, they were waiting for the Son of God, the Son from heaven. They were waiting for Jesus, the Messiah, who was the Son. And that would have been, and still is offensive to the Jewish faith, that God the Son is Jesus Christ. And so they would have been cut off. And those who were Gentile came out of probably uh, this whole host, uh, a variety of practices uh, of worship of these various gods. There were, there were actually um, temples for Roman gods here. There were, there were certainly the temples for Greek gods. There, there was all this worship. There was these secret kind of cult societies and mystic religions and philosophies and all these different ways of being. This was an incredibly pluralistic society. But it was pluralistic to the point that, yes, everything goes as long as you're good with everything going. But as soon as you make a a claim like they're saying here that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're making an exclusive claim, and that's a problem. Because it would have flown in the face of the pluralism. It would have flown in the face of Thessalonica's worship of the emperor. See, they actually had a mint in Thessalonica where they could make their own coins, and they actually minted coins that proclaimed Caesar as Lord, as divine Lord. And here are these Thessalonican Christians saying, Jesus is divine Lord. Whoa. I mean, th- this, is, this is sedition. This is rebellion. This is threatening to the empire. And so they would have not only been cut off then socially because of their exclusive claim, it was now a dangerous claim that they were making and it was leading to physical persecution, beating. At least, worse, we know from history the brutality of the deaths that many Christians experienced. And so it's in light of this being cut off from their entire social structure, being persecuted psychologically, relationally, physically, that he's saying, yes, you're flying, you're enduring. And to be a follower of Jesus then and now takes endurance. It takes endurance for the long haul. It takes endurance to forgive when in no way does the other person who's offended and hurt you, in no way are they deserving of it. They're not even remorseful. That takes endurance. It takes endurance to hold on to your integrity, to continue to act in ways that you, are, you know are right and good when others seem to be able to get ahead with just cutting the corners a little bit. It takes endurance to control your tongue 
when the conversation so easily turns to the other people and all the things they're doing wrong and the gossip about so-and-so, it takes an incredible amount of endurance to tame our tongue when someone is lashing out at you and it's taking everything within you to maintain your composure, to continue to love them as Jesus has loved you. It takes incredible endurance to have faith when nothing seems to be going your way, when you have only questions and uncertainty, only hardship, only suffering. It takes endurance to continue to have joy when you're overwhelmed by all of the things in life and you don't understand why things are going the way they are. It takes endurance to continue into what is almost now two full years of a pandemic. It takes endurance to continue to live under a cloud of fear and uncertainty as this pandemic continues to rage, it takes endurance not to simply hurl insults and hatred at those who are just getting back to normal and acting like nothing's going on. It takes endurance when you are just tired of the entire pandemic conversation. It takes endurance not to judge and condemn those who are afraid, who are continuing to choose a path of safety and isolation. It takes endurance to act as as Jesus has acted to become imitators of Paul and of our Lord, it takes endurance in the time that we're living. How's your endurance? I'm tired. This, this Omicron wave came, and I, I gotta tell you, my first reaction was, ah. <laughs> and I'd love to be able to tell you it was because I was just concerned about who might succumb to this variant, but I'm tired. And it takes endurance to continue to be the people of God in a world that desperately needs hope because they're tired too. And Paul is saying yes to the church in Thessalonica. Yes, you're flying, you're enduring. How are they doing it? How are they enduring? Because they are enduring direct assault and attack. How are they doing it? You know, what fuels endurance? You think about your body. You know, we think about just if you were training to run. <clears throat> you know how I feel about that. <laughs> but if, if you were, you know, what, what would you do in order to increase your endurance? I mean, obviously, we know that it would probably require some different eating habits. We know that it would probably require some training habits. We know it would probably require some different sleeping habits. We know that in the moment when you're actually exerting yourself, you probably need to be conscientious of breathing and filling your lungs so that oxygen can be distributed throughout your body and can push, push back the, the growth and spread of the lactic acid, which causes our muscles to, to become exhausted. You know, these are the things that we would need to be conscientious of, to eat right, to breathe fully, to find the most endurance that we could possibly have. And Paul gives us glimpses of what is, what is their routine. How are they finding endurance in the midst of their suffering? And, and we see the glimpses here, because in verse four, Paul says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he chose you. 
Now, that is a powerful word. That is, that's like the food that you need to eat a whole diet of, that God chose you. I mean, grab that for a moment. Grab that each and every day. Remind yourself of that because God chose you. He chose these people in Thessalonica. And here's the fun part. We know that when Paul showed up, there was no church there. There were no faithful followers of Jesus. There were people who were living all over the place, some of whom were trying to save themselves by being good and religious and moral, some of whom were just out there worshiping whatever, living whichever way they wanted to. But what we know is none were faithful to God, none were calling on the name of Jesus, and yet Paul can confidently say to them, yeah, God chose you. In other words, God chose you before you ever thought to get your behavior in line, before you thought to change your alliances and allegiances, before you were worthy of his love, he loved you anyway and chose you first. That's fuel for your soul. That's fuel for your endurance because, man, here's one of the things that happens to us. We fall and we hit our faces, don't we? Because we're tired. And we don't always, we're not always able to endure the way that we want to and the way God's inviting us to. And so when we hit our faces, we need to remember, oh, it's not about my perfection. It's not about me. It's not about what I'm doing. God chose me because he loved me. And that's, that's something you've got to feed yourself every day. God chose you. And God, he can say that God chose them because he looks at the evidence of it. He looks and he says, when we preached the gospel, man, it came to you not just in words. It wasn't just empty. It was the power of the Holy Spirit moving in this moment. We saw your lives changed. We saw that you gave up idols. You gave up all these other things that you thought made you happy and gave you security and confidence. And you came all the way over here and you started living a completely different way. Man, that just shows you God must have chosen you because you wouldn't have given that up on your own. That's amazing. And there was this deep conviction that we had this strong conviction as we preached the word to you that this is, this is good and right and God's doing something powerful. And can you look at your life and can you see something that's shifted and changed and transformed? Because that's when we start wondering, you know, is God actually present with me? Am, am, am I chosen by God? Well, has your relationship with him started to shift some stuff? Have your priorities moved? Have the things that you valued before become less valuable to you? And that's how you can have some confidence. You can say, okay, yeah, God, you chose me, and I'm still a work in progress. I'm on my way, but I'm at least on my way, and you're going to do it. You're going to finish this work. And that they, he chose them, and this power came into their lives that allowed them to leave behind this old way of life, to move into this new way of life, to ultimately, what he said in verse 10, to wait for Jesus, his son, God's son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, this Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. See, they were waiting. The thing that was fueling their endurance was because they were waiting with an eager anticipation, with confidence that Jesus was coming back soon. They were confident that Jesus had gone to, to heaven. That's what the, the story tells us, right? He rose from the grave on the third day on Easter, and then he ascended into heaven, and he's going to come back from that place. And when he comes back is this day that Paul's referring to, this day of wrath, which is God's just, just punishment 
against all sin, against all rebellion, against all those who say, you know, forget you, God, I want to do it on my own terms, which was all of them and was all of us before the message of hope of the gospel started to transform us and change us, isn't it? And so the hope that they're holding on to that fuels their endurance day in and day out is that Jesus is ultimately gonna rescue them from that judgment and that they are going to then be restored to this incredible relationship with God, their maker, who loves them, who chooses them. See, to fuel our endurance, to live out this faith day in and day out in the midst of the uncertainty We need to feed on the gospel message over and over that just like the Thessalonian church, I am completely unworthy and yet God has chosen me and loved me. So much so that Jesus who gave his life in my place so that the just punishment that I would deserve on the day of wrath, he took took away for me. So that in that place, I could receive the peace, the acceptance, and the love of God. It's the gospel that will fuel your endurance. Not this, not this, this resolution type of mentality, not this behavior modification, not this I'm gonna do it differently this time. That doesn't change anything in our heart. The thing that will change ultimately our heart that we can move away from one way of being to the other way of being is a constant diet of the gospel of Jesus Christ that says you're loved beyond what you can even imagine. And let that move you Let that fuel you so that you too can endure. See, Paul is in this letter starting out with thanksgiving to God, with praise to the Thessalonians, because you're flying, you're doing it. And it's it's really amazing, because this is way before there was any understanding of of positive reinforcement, right? You know, I'll be honest, I'm more, more on the discipline side of things, and making sure that the negative is not tolerated, and you know, some are in the positive reinforcement camp. And positive reinforcement is a powerful, powerful thing. It's that idea that you highlight, you praise the behaviors that you wanna see repeated. And when I look at my own life, I actually know that it works. Because the people in your life that you care about, when they praise something in you, don't you wanna go do it again so that you can hear that again? So Paul's saying, Yes, you're enduring, you're flying, you are becoming model believers, you're living lives of self-sacrifice, of love, you are living lives of faith, you're living lives of joy in the face of suffering, you're doing it, you're living something that the people around you can't even understand, but they desperately need, keep going. Keep going and fuel yourself with the gospel every day so that you too can endure. And we need that endurance, don't we? On the world you're living in, the people around you need us, the body of Christ, to to endure so that we can show that there is another way to live. So who can you write letters to? And say, you're doing it, you're flying, keep up the good work. Who can you write letters to to say, I'm thankful to God for you because you have modeled something that is inspiring and beautiful and it is inspiring me to imitate you and to imitate the Lord. Let us endure together as we write letters to friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for Paul. 
We thank you that you used him to spread the gospel into places, the faith into places that there was no hope, there was no gospel, there was, and yet we are the, the inherit, inheritors of that. We are the beneficiaries of that incredible work through his life, through the Thessalonian church. Thank you for the long-term endurance of, the, of your people throughout history. God, we, we wanna be like them. We wanna become imitators of them and imitators of you. Lord Jesus, who endured the cross, scorning its shame, endured brutality and pain and persecution so that we could receive your love. We could receive your peace. We could receive your power through your Holy Spirit that we too can endure. Lord God, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.